0: I'm going to take some, uh, we're going to read the uh, scripture for this morning from 1 Peter chapter 1 as we start just a few weeks ago a new series called the Hope Series. It's a study of the the, uh, book of 1 Peter. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish Spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire,
1: So good to be together this morning. Uh, We have a large contingent of our people uh, down at Breakforth in the Shaw Convention Center, and we've had a a wonderful Friday evening and all day Saturday, and uh, many of them are still there this morning, and so I'm glad that they can be uh, enjoying. This is a matter of interest this morning uh, as we get started. Can I ask you just a couple of questions? Uh, And you can respond with a nod or a hand up or maybe just have to humor me a little are there those among us uh, that were born in Canada but east of Ontario? Is there anybody? Yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Anybody uh, born in the Northwest Territories, by any chance? No. Uh, anybody born in Europe or Asia? Yes. Uh, South Africa? Yes. quite a few back there. And... Uh, um, New Zealand, because I can see some people born in New Zealand, uh, Australia well uh, yeah, uh, what, one other question are there those among us here that were born on a farm, raised on a farm? yeah, quite a few, quite a few I could go on i 'm trying to make a simple point. We all come from very different backgrounds, different cultural background, unique experiences, Uh, even growing up in the same family, uh, siblings will tell how differently they experienced life in their family, that's amazing, Uh, my brother and I, we go back and forth with one another and I say to him, I had the sense that you were the favorite in our family. And he says, Well, I don't think so. I think you are always the one that they shined their favor upon. Well, we saw things differently, even in our own family. We're all different. We have different cultural backgrounds. We have different family backgrounds. We have different tastes in music. We have different appreciation for the arts or for the sport or for sports. But friends, there's one thing we have in common. All of us here. It is worldwide. It doesn't matter what family you were born into. It doesn't matter if you're Christian, Jewish, Buddhist, Muslim, Hindu, Atheist, or any other faith. What is it? We all experience pain. We all know what it is to suffer. We all weep. All of us have wept. You can't make it from the cradle to the grave without weeping, without hurting, without experiencing pain. It is impossible. Isn't it something without exception? You can't go through this life without experiencing the pain of a broken relationship or the pain of a broken body or the pain of financial catastrophe. We learned this week through the news of this 37-year-old woman from uh, Calgary who went to Mexico, five-star hotel, badly beaten in the hotel elevator, every bone in her face shattered. I can't imagine the pain that is. Not just the physical pain, but, but the pain that surrounds that, the trauma, the relational pain, the struggle of all of this. Changed her life. We live in a world of suffering. Joseph Parker, the great preacher of last century, once said to young ministers in, in training, Preach to the suffering and you will never lack for a congregation. There is a broken heart in every pew. There is a broken heart in every pew. I've heard it said, Be kind to others for everyone you meet is going through a valley. And it's easy to re- to to kind of forget that in the haste of life. But we would respond a lot differently if we would understand that. We, everyone you meet, is going through a valley. Be kind to them. We all have our battles that we're facing. We don't know the battles that rage in somebody else's hearts, even here today. You no no real sense of the tremendous battle and trial that some are carrying here today. We've just started a new series, as Pastor Norb has said, called the Hope Series, which is a study of 1 Peter. I'm excited about it. Uh, And Peter picks up a pen about A.D. 64, and he writes to believers who are scattered through Pontus, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, These Christians were scattered in five different parts of the Roman Empire, all of them in northern Asia Asia Minor, which today is, of course, modern Turkey. Sorry about the resolution there. Some were already scattered to Asia Minor because of persecution, and they were feeling like uh, aliens, like strangers, like uh, uh, deplaced people. Warren Wearsby writes... Peter knew that a fiery trial was about to begin, official persecution from the Roman Empire. The Roman government took no official action against the Christians since the Jewish religion was accepted and approved. But when it became clear that Christianity was not a sect of Judaism, Rome had to take official steps. The deranged emperor, Nero, blamed the fire of Rome, July AD 64, on on the Christians using them as a scapegoat. Peter was probably in Rome about that time and was slain by Nero. Nero's persecution of Christians was local at first, but it probably spread, and Peter wanted the churches to hear this. They, he wanted the believers to hear this, and so that's the reason for 1 Peter. And what all of these believers had in common was this one thing. Suffering. Pain. They were hurting. Like a pharmacist, Peter dispenses some medicine for these hurting Christians. And his letter dispenses the remedy by telling them how to deal with the suffering. Not just by gritting their teeth and saying, we'll get through this somehow, we're going to get through. No, but, but to come through the trials that they were carrying with a deep sense of peace and a deep sense of joy in their hearts. Not just, we'll make it but a sense of God's empowerment through those trials. Incredible that one letter could reach to such a lofty goal as to bring some hope and some encouragement when you're hurting. Peter, the writer, we know him as one of the apostles. We talked about his life last week, the man who left the fishing business and followed Jesus. We remember how he was restored to ministry after he denied the Lord three times. But uh, Jesus had great plans for Peter, and he restored him, he reestablished him, he he renewed him, he put him back on the ministry path again, and Peter went on to be an incredible leader in the New Testament church. By the grace of God, he was restored, and he was replanted to serve. And legend has it that Peter was crucified upside down because he felt so unworthy to be put on the cross the same way that Jesus was. So he asked to be crucified upside down. It's a legend. We're not entirely sure about that. We don't know, but it is highly suspected that in the end, Peter was crucified for his faith in Christ. Uh, This morning, I want you to see the hope that Peter prescribes to hurting Christians in Asia Minor. I can't imagine how much, when you're really carrying a heavy trial, how much this letter would have meant. I mean, I'm sure these, these believers would have said, this is from Peter. Look at all of these words, and I'm sure they poured over every sentence that the Apostle Peter wrote. We're going to put a circle around verses 3 to 9 and just see what Peter says about uh, dealing with tough times. You know, we don't all suffer in the same way. Uh, we all have pain, but it looks different. And I'm sure that the hope is there, even if the pain is different. Peter has great words for us. But just a reminder this morning, they only really make sense if you're a follower of Christ. If you're not walking with the Savior, they might even seem trite. If you're not walking with the Savior, they might seem like they just kind of bounce off of your heart. And they don't undergird and support. But if your heart is to follow Jesus and you're saying yes to him, Lord, yes, yes, at every turn, they are amazing words because it's a powerful thing to have the Spirit of God working in your life, generating hope, generating strength. So really, we have here six ways to rejoice in our suffering and in our pain. Six reasons how you find encouragement and and hope to go on. And they'll become evident to us as we move through them. First, we have a living hope. Verse 3, we have a living hope. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Because of where I grew up on the farm, I, uh, I grew up only a couple hundred yards from a German Baptist church. And uh, when my family started going to that church, it was all in German. Our family didn't understand a word of it. But gradually, they transitioned to an English service. And one of the things I remember about those days was... Uh, in the early days of our going to that church, and it carried on, when we had a communion service, we all joined hands across the whole congregation, right across the aisles, and we sang together the doxology. Some of you will have that in your history as well. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above ye heavenly host, Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And we always sang the amen. It was a meaningful part of the Lord's Supper for me. The beginning of verse 3 is called a doxology. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Glory to God for who he is. Glory to God for what he's done. Praise to God. We've been given a new birth through his mercy. It's a miracle of grace that we're born again. And verse 2 reminds us of the foreknowledge of God concerning this new birth. We were chosen by the Father. Somewhere in the deep councils of eternity. And we knew nothing about it. It only became clear to us through the Word of God. In the councils of eternity, God was choosing you, God was thinking of you. It wasn't anything we did because we weren't on the scene. It was based on his grace. God was choosing us in his foreknowledge. And then the Spirit of God worked in our hearts. And we said yes to him. And one day, you remember, by the grace of God, our hearts were moved to open them to Jesus Christ and say, Lord, take possession of my heart. I commit my life to you. And with that came a hope that was transforming changed our lives was a living hope never the same again a living hope is one that has life in it and therefore can give life to us and because it has life it grows and becomes greater and more beautiful as time goes on time destroys most th- things time typically destroys most hopes they fade and they die But the passing of time only makes a Christian's hope that much more glorious. And what a joy that is to see when we witness a parent go home to be with the Lord. When my mom died, 98 years of age, I did not want to hold her back for one more day because she had a living hope. She was looking forward to being in the presence of God. And I was so glad that she could slip into eternity without a great deal of pain and that she was free and that she had a living hope in Jesus Christ. What brings us through our trials and struggles is that one day these struggles will end. We know that the pages of the book conclude with heaven. The final chapter of our lives is heaven. Who can mind the journey, asked the late great Bible teacher James Gray, when the road leads home. Uh, Who can mind the journey when the road leads home? We have a living hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. That's why we have hope. Please underscore that part of the verse. Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We have a living hope because hope became alive when the Father reached down and touched the body of Jesus Christ and brought it back to life again. And it's so different from saying, well, I hope I can make it through. <laughs> I hope I can make it to the next paycheck. I, I hope things work out. I mean, we're hoping the little train that said, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can, I think I can. All of that is quite different from a living hope that is grounded in the reality of Jesus Christ Christ and his resurrection and peter wants his his readers to be reminded that they have in their hearts the living hope of jesus christ and therefore they have reason to rejoice in their suffering because of their hope and they know that that road will eventually lead home and they have that hope living hope secondly we have an authentic inheritance verse 4 and into an inheritance that can never perish spoil or fade kept in heaven for you we're going to share the inheritance of heaven with Jesus forever paul reminded us of that in romans chapter 8 verse 17 and since we are his children we are his heirs in fact together with christ we are heirs of God's glory but if we are to share his glory Paul says we must also share his suffering but what a good word to hurting people we're included in Christ's last will and testament and we share in the glory with him and what an inheritance it will never perish it will never wear out notice how things wear out around you I mean, it, it, it was a new car, but then it wears out and it squeaks. And where did that squeak come from? And, 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 and the, the, the dullness sets in. The polish is off. But our inheritance is unchanging. It will never lose its splendor. And we will never lose the joy or excitement uh, of being in his presence. We will never lose the, the joy of our inheritance. It will be glorious and it will never end. Hard for us to even imagine. And note this, that it's kept in heaven for you. It's guaranteed. It's reserved for you. The reservation is guaranteed. Mark and I went to Atlanta many years ago now to a conference. And we booked a hotel not far from the conference center right downtown Atlanta. But when we got there and we asked for our room, they just stared at us. They looked at the computer. They looked at us. Looked back at the computer, did a few things. Looked at us. Finally, they said, We don't have any reservation for you. Do you have a confirmation? Yeah, yeah, I got a confirmation number. They did their magic on their computer again and they looked at us and they looked like a deer in headlights. I mean, they, they just were lost. They said, We do not have any reservation for you. After a little bit of wrangling, thinking we might be on the street for the night, They gave us a room. Uh, That will never happen to your heavenly reservation. Uh, reservation. It's already guaranteed. The reservation has been purchased. It is secure by the work of Jesus Christ on on the cross. His blood purchased our salvation. And our reservation is in heaven forever. God won't look at you and say, what was your name again? Where did you live? Do you have any confirmation of that? No, no. Oh, after your difficult journey on this earth, you have a guarantee. You have a guarantee. You have an inheritance. You won't need a lawyer to try to make it happen. You already have one through Jesus Christ who will say to his father, this is my son. This is Ken. Uh, I've, I've got a place for him. Allow him to come in. He knows you. He loves you. Please grant him admit. This is my daughter over here. Grant her ad- admission into your kingdom. Reasons to praise our God. We have a living hope. We have a genuine, authentic inheritance. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. Thirdly, we have a powerful shield. Verse 5. What a verse. Let this verse sink into your mind and heart this morning. Peter says, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I'm sure some of his readers were saying, well, how are we going to get through this? How do we make it? I mean, heaven is one thing to talk about it that it's coming, but things are tough here. Things are tough now. And Peter has a word for them. He says, you will be shielded by the power of God. God will put his shield in front of you God will put his shield to the side of you. God will put his shield around you. And you will be protected. And you won't get lost in the journey. You won't get wiped off the map. God will never lose track of you. No matter how hard it gets. We are divinely protected. Can you receive that this morning if you need that? I mean, it... It means a lot to someone who's really hurting or kind of unsure of the future. God will never lose track of you. You are divinely protected. It doesn't mean that we won't go through the stuff. But in the stuff of life, God is there. And he shields us and he protects us and he gives us grace for the next step. No one can give you a satisfactory answer as to why you are suffering. I always say, don't try to answer the question. Don't try to answer it. If we try to do that for some people, we will only confuse them. Sometimes suffering is a mystery. We discover that we can just leave it in that category. It's a mystery. I don't know. Sometimes God steps in and he relieves the suffering with a wonderful healing. Isn't that wonderful when he does that? And he changes the circumstances. Isn't that wonderful when there's just such a miraculous answer to prayer? And then there are times when he simply protects us as we walk through the fire. At funerals, I often find myself sharing this truth. God is too kind to be cruel, too wise to make a mistake. And too deep to explain himself. God is too kind to be cruel. He's too wise to make a mistake. And He's too deep to explain himself. We're left to accept the mystery of hardship and suffering and mistreatment. But we know for sure that God will protect us by His power from now until eternity. And even when we're faced with death, God is still protecting. Our bodies may die, but not our soul. God protects the soul. And one day, our bodies will be raised from the dead. Immortal and glorious. A resurrected body. Yes, in the last time. So our hope is not in the acquisition of more things and more things and more things that will bring us hope. Because eventually, one by one, all of those things will be stripped away from us. They'll all be taken from us. But never God, and never his protection, and always will he guard us until we're safely home. And what a joy to wake up each morning. Our circumstances may not have changed a whit, but we sense the power of God in our lives and the protection of God. And it's all we need to go another day, another week, another month. I read the story of a high school student who was taking an advanced English course. She came to her father, and she said, Dad, I, I can't take this course. Everyone in the course is, is way ahead of me, and, and half the time, I don't even know what's going on in that class. I want to take a regular English course, not, not the advanced. So the father said that her request seemed reasonable. And he said, I went with her to the high school to change the course from advanced English to regular English course. And the teacher thought she could change it, but she said that she needed the approval of the head of the English department. And the father said so. Daughter and I made our way to the office of the head of the English department. And this person, Jenny Krugman, told us she would approve it. But she asked the father if it would be okay if she talked to Robin my daughter alone for a few minutes. He said, that would be fine. So she took Robin aside and said, Robin, almost everyone who takes this advanced English course is frightened at the beginning. If we didn't think you could do it, we wouldn't recommend that you come to this particular class. It will be hard, but you will be able to do it. Robin wasn't buying a word of it. Until the head of the department said, Robin, I'm going to make you a deal. I promise you this, that no matter how bad your work is, you'll get a B in the course. No matter how bad it is. I promise you that, she said, now if I make that promise to you, will you take the course? (laughs) Now, Robin isn't dumb. She knows a good deal when she sees it. And she accepted it. And Robin ended up making straight A's in the course for the next two years, and she went on to major in English at college. Later, Jenny, the department head, explained her theory to the father. She said, I knew your, God, your daughter could do the work, but she didn't know it. So I took the threat of failure away by promising her a good grade no matter what. Now, I couldn't have done that with a lot of students, but I knew I was safe with Robin. You see, Robin was afraid of failure. And as soon as she knew that she wasn't going to fail the course, she was free to study hard. God's telling us the same thing. You're going to make it through. I have a safety net below you. I have a shield around you. He has taken away the threat of ultimate destruction. He says, I promise you that you will come out of this fine. We don't need to be paralyzed any longer. God is on your team. He's already given you a passing grade. You're okay. He's put his shield around you. And now he says, go ahead and make the very best of the days that you have And whatever days that you have, whatever years that you have, I will protect you right until you come home to be with me. Now, isn't that wonderful? You're free to go for it. You're free to give God your best, however he leads you. If your physical energy is no longer there the way it used to be, you might not be able to do the things that you used to do, but you'll be able to do the things that you can do, the things that God gives to you to do. If your your physical energy is still there, then you can capitalize on the strength that God has given you as far as you can go. And then you can shift into plan B. Barry uh, has been doing some work for us on the building committee. He's been doing some research on a security system for the new church building. Because when everybody goes home at night, the security system will come on. (laughs) <laughs> and we'll have a good feeling, all of us in our different homes, knowing that, that the building is protected and no one will be able to come in and do damage to the building. But under heaven's lock and key, we are protected by the most efficient security system available, the power of God. Regardless of what comes our way, God never takes away your security system the system that you need for your heart, for your soul, you will always experience his protection. You will always experience his protection. I think amen belongs there, right? Amen? Finally, we rejoice because we have a growing maturity in Christ. We're being discipled. Our our faith is developing. I'll just introduce you to what Peter says here, and then next Sunday we'll finish it along with the two remaining reasons. Verse 6 In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes, even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Oswald Saunders, the great missionary statesman, wrote God does not waste suffering, nor does he discipline out of caprice. If he plows, it is because he purposes a crop. If he plows, it's because he purposes a crop. The pressures of life and stress and and, uh, uh, suffering and pain allow the fire to purify us and to allow us to know what Paul meant when he said, we are crucified with Christ. It's, it's like the hurt of the surgeon's knife, which brings healing. It doesn't feel good initially, but it brings healing. What does a trial do in your life? I suppose it depends on how you respond to the trial. You can get bitter with it, or you can get better with it. You can allow the trial to pull you absolutely to pieces, or you can grow stronger. Like going to the gym every day and working out, you get stronger. And that's Peter's point. If you have the right heart, all of this this stuff of life can bring about a growing, developing personal faith in Jesus Christ. And you can learn to trust him. Now, none of this suffering is good in itself. Pain isn't good just in itself. But it's quite astounding how God can take the pain of your life and use it for his purposes. So I just want to leave you with these three thoughts. First of all, from the text, they seem to be necessary. They seem to be necessary. Though now for a little while you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. You may have to. (laughs) The New Living Translation says, even though you have to endure many trials for a season. It seems like we all get some trials coming our way. And although we don't understand how it works, we hear Peter saying that they're necessary. That they're going to do something for us. They certainly humble us, if nothing else. They humble us. Most of our severe trials put us on our knees. And we find ourselves looking to God for wisdom and deliverance and his grace. That's always a good thing. Secondly, trials are not easy. Paul doesn't want us to gloss over this and make light of it. No, he says in verse 6, you may have to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. There's a heaviness to carry in your heart when you're going through trials. Just like Jesus in Gethsemane. He had to go through it. What a weight he was carrying. It was grief. It was heaviness. And it was there for a season. And never gloss over somebody else's trial. Never force someone to dismiss it by saying, I went through that too. Only mine was a little bit more complicated because it had these factors. That doesn't do any good. Trials are not easy. And we are all different. We are shaped differently. We have different backgrounds. We have different experiences. And what might put me flat on my face might be something that you can just move right through. And something that I can move right through, you can say, it just kind of devastates you. We're all built differently. We have different trials and different things. And, And then thirdly, there are all kinds of trials. Our trials are varied. Variegated is the word, meaning many colors. They come in different sizes and different shapes and different colors. And then trials are here for a season. There seems to be a period of time, and God is his eye in the clock, and they're here for a season. And then trials refine us and bring us forth as gold, and we'll talk about that next week. Hope when you're hurting. What do you do with the trial that's landed on your lap? You didn't ask for it. It's terribly inconvenient. It's messing up your life. And frankly, if you're like me, you find you're moving in and out of those trials. There are, there are seasons. No one likes a trial. No one says, come on, bring it on. <laughs> None of us do that. But regardless, they come. And when we hear the knock on the door, and when we open to find trial there, We know our first response. Oh, Father, Father, protection, guidance, grace, wisdom, strength. Yes, some reminders of heaven and our final destination. Yes, some reminders of the shield of God along the way, helping us immensely. We'll make it through. And then some reminders that we'll never be the same because of this trial. And if we can take it in the right spirit, we'll see how God is growing us and discipling us, and we're learning from it.